Hey, this is Gilly Messer. I'm a writer, an actress, and all-around trying-to-be-funny person. And you're listening to Behind the Prose. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. You are in episode 43 of Behind the Prose. Thanks for coming back to me. I am your host, Keisha Whitaker, and I would like to begin today's program with the check-in. So I've got uh, to number 18 in my current chunk of 20, and I just got three acceptances. Remember the last couple weeks I've been saying that I hadn't gotten any acceptances yet, and three came in. One of them was on National Lampoon, and you know, I, I obviously known about National Lampoon, but for some reason it never dawned on me to look for their website, but I found them when I was researching and reading other humor writers have been trying to stay on top of things that are being published on McSweeney's and Split Cider and New Yorker. So I, I found their website and I had submitted something to them that I had signed a few times and they took it and I submitted it because I started to realize different sites styles. And I felt like the style of National Lampoon had a wide range of forms for their humor. So I sent it to them and they took it and published it this week. I will put the link in the show page. It's called Thanks for Your Patreon Payment. So as I said, I've been reading and researching writers. I've been connecting to them on Twitter. And I actually got the chance to go to sort of a mingle for people who have been published in the Daily Shouts column recently. And it was really cool to be amongst other writers. It wasn't a competitive vibe. Everybody was just trying to find out what everyone else was doing and offer advice if they could and suggestions. And it just reminded me of an article in the March issue of the Writer Magazine Now by um, K.L. Romo, who writes the article titled Don't Go It Alone. And this author, I don't know, K.L. was man or woman because I just didn't look it up. But <laughs> the author writes that um, it's important to have a writing community and, and they give advice on how to um, build that community. So I just want to throw that out to you if you've been kind of huddled up in your writing hole or wherever it is, just get out there maybe every couple months and, you know, hang out with some people who are like you. And here is a person like you. That person is Geely Messer. She is a singer, an actress, a performer. I discovered her on McSweeney's a couple weeks ago and I fell in love with her piece and I thought that why not interview her? I found her on Twitter and she agreed. She talked to me from Los Angeles and I imagine she was in a sunny park or somewhere because you can kind of hear the birds. Well, not kind of, you can, you can hear the bird, listen for the birds. And, uh, it was a great interview and I hope that you will learn something from her because I certainly did. Here's Gilly Messer. Today I have with me someone that I discovered on, uh, McSweeney's. I've been trying to stay on top of my humor reading and I read her piece that is called Young Couple Finds Love and Happiness Amiss State-Sponsored Chaos. And I knew I just had to talk to her. So I looked her up on Twitter and I stalked her and I emailed her through her website and she agreed to come on the show. So I would like to introduce you to Gilly Messer. 
Thank you. Hello. Hi. Did I say your name right? Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> it's a tough one. Okay. And what is your, and it's an Israeli name, right? What's the pronunciation? Yeah, so I'm half Israeli. Uh, my name is pronounced Gili, but um, it's really tough for a lot of Americans to say it, um, especially because of that subpar Ben Affleck film, Gili, that came out, like, <laughs> way back when. Um, although the SNL skit, Gilly with that like sadistic little girl who causes problems. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's Kristen mm-hmm. Wig. That helps a lot with my pronunciation, <laughs> with the other people's <laughs> pronunciation, rather. Yes. Okay, so it's Gilly. Yes, perfect. Okay, I was I I always feel like when you meet people who have um, names that don't have like American pronunciations that, and, and I notice this a lot with students that go by an American name, and I always feel insulted kind of because I want to like, well, no, wait, I can learn how to say your name. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah you know, Jilly, pretty much. Yeah, I try and correct people if they say Jilly because then it's awkward mm-hmm. for both of us the longer we know each other, and they're saying it wrong. Um, yeah, Gilly is just, I'm just as used to be, being called that. <laughs> okay, good. Um, because then I have this thing where I'll get paranoid about the pronunciation and can't remember. So there's that. Yeah, I always know the look, <laughs> the look on someone's face when they're like, <laughs> I'm like, don't kill yourself. <laughs> so a little bit about you. I'm looking at your bio here. You're a writer, you're a performer, you're an actress. You went to Barnard College in Columbia University and studied anthropology. Yes, yes, which is the study of culture, which when I go to auditions or, you know, submit humor pieces and people see my background, they're always like, why? <laughs> and I'm kind of like, why not? Because anthropology is basically acting for your mind. Mm. You know, it's mm-hmm. empathizing with another culture and seeing how they think and putting mm. yourself in their shoes, which is essentially acting, in my opinion, you know, putting yourself into the mind of another character and approaching the world from their perspective. So that's Mm. my reason for why that degree actually makes sense in my case. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's definitely not the traditional major, so to speak for an actor. Were you um, into acting and performing at the time when you, by the time you got to college? Yeah, I was, really torn about whether I was going to go to a conservatory, you know, to really just study acting and actually specifically musical theater. Um, If I was going to do that, or if I was going to just get more of a typical college degree, like a liberal arts, pursue a liberal arts program. And I ended up doing the latter because I've always been really cerebral and academically driven. And I I couldn't imagine not doing that and not expanding Mm -hmm you know, that part of me in college in favor of just learning musical theater. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. I made the right choice <laughs> for me. So I'm just going to rattle through a few things off your bio. I, I couldn't do all of them because it's a lengthy bio here, but um, you were recently featured in the 2016 and 2015 ABC Diversity Showcase in Los Angeles and New York. Um, and your work was performed for the network there. Um, the Drunk Lonely Wives Book Club was a web series set in the early 1960s that you created, you wrote, and you starred in. And it was directed by Emmy Award winner Mary Lou Belly or Billy or Belly? What's her name? Belly. 
Adelai. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mary Lou is um, an amazing sitcom director and now actually directs a lot of one hours as well. Um, and she's really inspirational. She's really active in spearheading the initiative for more female directors in television specifically. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's pretty much my mentor in the business and she's, mm. She's also an acting teacher um, as well as a director, and she um, she mentors me and several other actresses. And she she basically told me that if I wrote a project, that we could shoot it in her living room, and that she would direct oh. it. So that's how that project came about. And uh, one of something that is um, recent as well, you have a romantic comedy short film called Dog Park, and it's on the festival circuit now, and it was just screened at the 2017 London International Film Festival, and it was nominated for Best Comedy Short and Best Actor. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's a rom-com. I I kind of miss, you know, just (laughs) one of those typical rom-com films. I feel like that's missing, you know, from a lot of what's popular lately. And so I, it's kind of an homage to that. I wrote that short and I also acted in it and it was, it was really fun. Um, I, I mean, we could do a whole show about um, how you are succeeding um, in the area of acting and performing and writing for screen. Um, but <laughs> we're going to focus just a teensy tiny little bit on that and uh, more about you as um, a humor writer and the type of writing that you do for screen and specifically for what we're talking about today, your piece on McSweeney's. Um, But my question is, since you studied anthropology in college uh, formally, um, where do your writing skills um, come from? Is it a natural talent and did you develop it in any other way, like formally? So that's a great question. I've always uh, I've always expressed myself best through writing, and I've always written stories from day one. I think my parents have boxes full of books that I would write as a small child um, about anything and everything. Um, and I kept a journal growing up, and I, I was always, like I said, comfortable expressing myself through writing. Um, in college, it was, I was mainly focusing on formal academic writing. I didn't really take many creative writing courses or um, anything in that vein, but I was writing constantly for all of my different classes. And uh, my alma mater, Barnard College, is really known for producing a lot of very famous authors. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the curriculum in any course that you take there is heavily focused on writing. So I feel like I really learned a lot and developed that muscle there. And then once I graduated, I dove deeper into uh, creative writing. And uh, my mom actually teaches at the UCLA Extension. And through that, I'm able to get free courses there or one free course per semester when, when she teaches there. So through that, I've taken a couple writing courses through the extension, which I've really enjoyed. But um, all of those have been novel writing courses, so Hmm. not screenwriting and not like personal essays, so to speak. Uh, I Mm -hmm. also, you know, started keeping a blog and so forth. So I started writing more creatively for that. And my survival job is actually tutoring high school students primarily. And I focus a lot on writing with them. So 
I think that by teaching it, I've also improved my own writing. I love that you said my survival job. I love that term. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do really like my job a lot. It's really rewarding. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, survival job by quote unquote day job, you know, something to yeah. pay the bills when writing or acting doesn't cut it. I could just do that, but you know, I also enjoy eating and having a place to live. So <laughs> you're here. Yeah. <laughs> totally <Yeah>. get it. <laughs> um, I'm going to yes. just adopt that term, the survival job. Now I love that. Survival Get job. credit for yeah. that. <laughs> um, so <laughs> you didn't study comedy uh, writing formally, yet you are a funny writer. Um, where do you Thank think you. that your ideas come from? Do you sit down every day at, say, 6 a.m. and say, I'm going to write for an hour and just put things down? Or do you wait for inspiration? What do you do? That's also a great question. Um, I wish that I could come on here and say, yes, I have an egg timer and, you know, I set it for one hour and I always write no matter what I'm feeling. And I'm very disciplined in that sense. Um, but if I said that, I would be lying. Uh, I kind of go through different phases, I feel, um, in terms of when I'm really inspired and I'm writing constantly versus not as much. Um, and I think that just comes from the fact that my life is so different on a day-to-day basis. Just being an actor means that you wake up one morning and you think that you have nothing going on and all of a sudden your agent calls you and says you have this huge audition and you have to prepare for that. And then everything goes into preparing for that audition. And then you go to the audition and if you book it, then you're on set all week and then that's over. And then you start all over again versus the other side of that being, or the flip side is that nothing happens. And so sometimes I have a lot of time to devote to writing. and Sometimes I don't. Um, But with shorter pieces like this humor piece, I think I really wait till something strikes me or, and comes across uh, or, or appears as very funny and something that I just have this idea for to the point where I can't do anything until I write it. I just have Can to you take us a little bit more into that? Like, what is that moment? And let's talk specifically about this young couple finds love and happiness amid state sponsored chaos. What, what was the moment that inspired you for this piece? So since the election, for, or for a while after the election, uh, not much was funny to me. Like <laughs> I was, you know, I'm a, I, I love to use humor to get through tough situations. And I think, you know, that's just how my entire family is and um, many of my friends. But after the election, not much was funny to me at all. Mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, and I've slowly but surely been coming out of that and feeling like, okay, I'm ready, you know, to laugh again. Um, and this moment of inspiration came when I was actually just reading an article in the New York Times in the vows section. Um, I've read many of them before in the past people on my Facebook feed often post the funniest ones because they seem like they're satire, like they're published on the onion or something because they're so mm-hmm. ridiculous many of them mm-hmm. that it's, I have trouble even believing that it's real but they are um, and so I read one in particular I think maybe like the night before I wrote this or the night that I wrote this I think it was the night before I read it and I was just like I can't believe this is real I have to make fun of this I've been thinking of making fun of this for a long time 
And then mm. I thought, well, what if it, you know, it it was in the same exact structure and format that was this post-apocalyptic world that Trump has created for us. <laughs> and what would a wedding be like in that kind of environment? And so then once that, once I had that idea, I just kind of ran with it. So I guess the moment of inspiration would be just reading this one article in particular from uh, the New York Times vows section that was more ridiculous than many of the ridiculous ones I've seen. And what was the drafting process like for you? So I looked a lot at that article that I mentioned that served as the inspiration and looked at the structure and format of it and uh, just decided that I needed to include those elements. So ideas being uh, their language, incorporating Mm -hmm. some of their language, making sure I had fake direct quotes from the best man and the maid of honor in this fictional wedding that I referred Mm -hmm. to them in a certain way. Um, And I, I just basically jotted down a bunch of notes of different elements and jokes and bits that I wanted to be sure to remember and to include just wrote them down by hand. And then I just sat down and wrote the piece. And this one actually didn't take me so long. I, um, I was able to really take those notes and the structure of the piece that inspired it and write it pretty quickly and then look back and edit and add some jokes here and there and punch it up a bit. And, and um, that I did, I think the next day, I like to have a little space from something I write to look back at it with like fresh eyes. Um, which is good, but also sometimes dangerous. Because sometimes as you're writing something, you're like, this is great. This is so funny. And then you look back at it the next day and you're like, this is terrible. What was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with this piece, I looked back at it and I was like, oh, this is still funny the next day mm-hmm. as I polished do you, it. Do you have a first reader or someone you share your work with for feedback? Sometimes. Um, actually, this piece I did not share with anybody before oh, I submitted okay. it to McSweeney's. Was that yeah. intention? Was that because you're like, mm, I'm, I'm really sure it's solid or was it a time thing? It was, I think, a combination of things. I think with administration, you kind of have to submit, you know, any timely topical humor immediately because every morning I wake up and I'm like, what mm. has Trump done now? right? Will this be relevant yeah. even the next day? <laughs> Who knows, right? Right. The next like, minute, no. <laughs> the next minute, what did he tweet now? Like, what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now what? Um, and I think I was just confident about how it turned out. And uh, the other thing is just living in LA, and I know we're talking more about prose and, you know, and essays rather than stuff for screen, but and, I mean, in Hollywood here where I, and I actually grew up here as well. So I'm very well acquainted with the culture. I mean, it's kind of like I, my friends showed me some quote where it's, where it's like levels of friendship. It's like, you know, in terms of the most terrible things your friends ask you to do, like number one is drive you to the airport and traffic. And then number two is like, read my script. Cause here <laughs> everyone's like, read my stuff, you know, nonstop. Everyone's like, read this, read that. And so I think, for, for for lack of wanting to bother somebody, I just was like, you know what, I'm confident in this, and I'm I'm done with this piece. Um, although okay. I think having a formal writing group, a writer's group that I've, I I have like kind of an informal one that's 
really helpful with people I trust that that's always great to get feedback. But yeah, in this case, I did not get any feedback. So what is your editing process like? Because I do, I went through, I read, I highlighted, um, you know, the jokes that come across and it definitely has a pace. I mean, when you start out with that scene of them chanting, show me what democracy looks like. And um, they meet and then they, you say they locked eyes and the rest, as they say, is history. Um, did you, was that in your first draft or did you come to the intro when you went back and edited it? Can you talk a little bit about that process? Actually, I came up with the intro uh, in the first draft. I went to the Women's March here in Los Angeles with my mom and a bunch of her best friends and their daughter who are my best friends. And it was just like this amazing experience. Um, but it, was funny because it also was like this social event in Los Angeles. I think 750,000 people came and I bumped into people I knew at every corner. And some of them, you know, since then it was, it was just funny because we were saying like, it, it really takes this crazy catastrophe in our government for us to and, you know, march together. Um, and there were a lot of young people there and it just seems like, you know, this, climate that we have right now between the marches and people finally getting politically active like it's going to have consequences hopefully the ones that we intend you know for things to change mm -hmm. but also people are going to meet I made I made friends with some really great people volunteering for the Hillary Clinton campaign who I still like talk to regularly and so wow. that's really where I thought oh, what what if people people are probably meeting this way you know where hmm. otherwise they wouldn't have met so so that was there from the beginning. And then, yeah, with history, with the idea being also that, you know, this is an article that, um, that if it were printed in this post-apocalyptic world, like things would be censored and edited. So history, the word history has an, ast an asterisk, like a footnote that implies the rest is alternative facts or are alternative facts. So I wanted yeah, to that was that joke in, be my no matter what, for is, you. Yeah, that was I, I from the beginning. I was like, I want to include a bunch of footnotes where of what the print edition has includes that's different from the online edition that maybe was published on the dark web or something in the future and mm -hmm. is uncensored. Yeah, I was going to say, how oh, do you no, know no. when you are um, adding adding when you've added too many or not enough? humor yeah I think when I was kind of outlining it like I said before the just notes of different jokes that I wanted to be sure to include you know I, I find ways to weave it in and then as I'm writing I feel like these ripe opportunities for jokes pop up and I knew I wanted to address the Planned Parenthood issue that I wanted to also somehow subtly nod to um, like Obamacare being repealed, which is why I put like a smaller joke about that, about the bride not having a pre-existing condition. Um, and that mm -hmm. I think came just like, as I was writing it, I was thinking, I want to weave in something about Obamacare, but I don't know where. And as I was writing, it just kind of pops in. Um, I like to read pieces out loud to myself. And that's usually when I can hear whether something's missing or something's too much. So I guess that would be the way that I would decide if something was funny or not funny enough or 
hmm. needed to get cut or would stay. And then also with McSweeney's, they do make a pass at it and edit for you. I, I don't think they changed really anything, though, except for um, the title originally was just going to be called Vows. And mm-hmm. um, and then I had like a subheading, which is the way they do it in the New York Times. So it was like Vows. And then it, I think originally it was called Love in the Time of Dissidence, uh, colon, Young Couple, mm-hmm. and then the normal um, title. But I think that's really all they changed. I think originally, besides that, I just had a URL link there that showed that this article was posted on the dark web in the future. And that's like why it wasn't censored. But I think they got rid of that too. But other than that, there were no other jokes that they got rid of. Um, And I didn't even make the connection at the time because I think I submitted it at the end of January. But the editor was like, this would be perfect for Valentine's Day. I'm like, oh, of course. So... (laughs) Um, I think that was also Chris, the editor there at McSweeney's, his reasoning Mm -hmm. for changing the title to Young Couple Finds Love and Happiness to just leaving it as that because that would draw in more readers Mm -hmm. on Valentine's Day with the theme of love. And this is your first piece on McSweeney's. So I think prior to this one being published, I had sent one other submission to McSweeney's in the past, and it wasn't really recently. It was a while ago. Um, something I had written for another project, like actually a screen project, which I then tried to turn into an essay. Um, And so I submitted it to them, but it was rejected. And this was the second piece that I submitted to them. Um, Yeah, they're definitely like a tough nut to crack just because I think it has a specific style where you want things to be outlandish, but not too outlandish and Mm -hmm. funny, but in a more cerebral way like maybe in a way that makes you laugh five minutes later not right then and there um but uh but yeah mm-hmm. this is my second time submitting to them I've been a fan of the site for a really long time since college but no this wasn't in any way like a deliberate thing like I'm going to get published on them with this piece or I need to get published by them I just kind of had this funny idea and spark of inspiration and I think that's why they chose it because hmm. it was not me being like, I'm going to write a piece that I think their readers or they would like to publish. I was just writing something that made me laugh. Mm. I've heard that a lot um, from um, writers. Um, even the author of The Kite Runner said that in um, a, um, a a workshop or reading that he did. He was like, you know, I pretty much write for myself. Like, He's like, I appreciate all of you guys, but I write for me. Yeah, I think it's, it sounds egocentric to say it or something, but I think it's getting rid of, like, you know, the expectation or writing for what you think they want and just writing for what you would want to read or if it's a script, mm. what you would want to watch or if it's a novel, what you would want to read as a book. Some, I've been I've been in the middle of writing something and, you know, unable to finish sometimes, and I feel like it's because I take a step back and I'm like, if I were a reader, an audience member, would I – choose to read this or watch this and if the answer is no it's kind of like why would I why am I doing this Hmm. you know this is um kind of a nuts and bolts question you have uh the names of the characters in here Andrew Briggs and uh Jamie Keller and how do you pick names for characters that's a great question yeah sometimes when you have a bunch of different projects that you're working on at once like I do which I'm a little bit scattered sometimes where I need to work on being more focused and kind of 
working on one project from start to finish. I think that's why I've found some success with short form humor, just because I can, you know, see it through Mm -hmm. from start to finish. Um, I was trying to come up with names that match the type of names I, I would see in the vows section in the New York Times. They're always, I don't know, these kind of, they, they refer to the people, they're not characters, they're actual people in the New York Times as much as I feel like they're <laughs> fictional characters um, that have these kind of oftentimes like old world, old money sounding names, you know, of like mm-hmm. some established family or something like that. So I wanted to have those kinds of names, so to speak. And I think that's how I came up with these characters' names. But I definitely will change my characters' names like as I'm writing something all mm. the time. And then I have to make sure to change all of them because all of a sudden the same character will pop up with a different name. And I'm like, who is that? Oh, right. That was their old name. <laughs> or what I'll realize like, everyone, most- everyone's name has the same you know, number of syllables or everyone starts with the same letter, I need to fix that, <laughs> you know, just really technical. Yeah. What do you find most uh, difficult challenging about humor writing? Um, I guess as a, as the flip side of what I was saying before, of what I find funny, I think it's just making sure that other people find what you find funny, funny. I like Mm -hmm. to say that in real life, too, I have this thing called the 10% rule where I'm like, it seems to me like based off of my interactions with people that like 10% of people think I'm funny, but of that 10%, they think I'm really funny, like hilarious. And the other 90% is kind of like, what? Like, what is your deal? (laughs) So I think sometimes like it's just like hitting the bullseye of, okay, Hmm. Is like did I hit that ten percent with McSweeney's? I don't know. I'm interesting. By the way, just side note, I'm not a math tutor because like none of this math makes sense. But <laughs> and this is all based on like just I love it though. Other people, but I love but I'm it though. Like, I'd rather sense. have I'd rather have you know rather than a broad approach like a, you know just humor that everybody finds funny. I mean it's probably not going to push the envelope that much, right? If it's, it's so broad mm. that mm. you can't get everybody to laugh. So I'd rather get like a few people to laugh really hard. So I guess that's the challenge is just to make sure that me as the writer and the reader that we're on the same page. Hmm. I really have enjoyed talking to you. Um, and I will have your uh, show um page up people um you can go to the website and check out um all your clips and your your own website and you have like your reels and stuff that you've done your audition reels and you have different character work up there i watched your alanis morissette <laughs> video <laughs> and um so i encourage you sing as well so i encourage people to go like check your website out yes thank you please do i'm a renaissance lady or I'm mediocre <laughs> at a lot of things instead of really good at one thing depending on how you think about it <laughs> you are my sister from another mother <laughs> yeah I have yeah a... gotta try everything right <laughs> yeah something is gonna work eventually I think you're yes, on the right exactly. track though I have one last Thank question you. for you what okay. is what is your acting superpower 
that you think makes you a strong writer? Ooh, my acting superpower. I think that I can hear the way dialogue or a character would speak because when I read something, I, I guess I act it out in my head um, or I interpret it the way that maybe I would think of performing it. So when I'm writing dialogue for characters or just uh, in a narrative voice, like for example, with this piece, I wanted it to be in the voice of the New York Times vows author. Um, I feel like I can really hear how that person would. Does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree. When I was reading it, I, that one of the things, the voice is just so spot on. It's, it's just uncanny. It's really great. Yeah, I think I um, I read it to myself, I guess, in my head. And as I'm writing something, I, I hear it. I hear how I want it to sound um, for whatever the, the task at hand is. In this case, it was emulating this <laughs> style that I feel like just, it made it easy the way that they write in the vow section. I mean, <laughs> no offense to any of those writers. They're great writers. Um, it's just the, the situations are often mm-hmm. outlandish. And they have to <laughs> present it in this this way that makes the reader um, fall in love with it, you know. So, so yeah, I think well, it lent itself to that. I have fallen in love with you. And so you keep uh, writing and reading it to yourself. And uh, I'm going to keep following. Oh, thank you. I read your piece, too, on, the, on Shouts and Murmurs, which I loved. The Apple Box oh, piece. That was you. awesome. It's a real problem. (laughs) It is a problem. No, and I thought about it because I looked in my drawer and I have tons between me and my husband and our tons of Apple products. We have tons of boxes, but for some reason we can't get rid of them. I know. I don't get it. It's so. (sighs) It's like, what what are we keeping them for? (laughs) Yeah. So I was just like, that's perfect. Thank you. That was a great question. I look forward to um, hearing from you in the future. And um, again, oh, and I didn't get to really get to talk to you a lot about it. You also write for a site called, um, uh, wait, I want to get it, P-Y-O, P-Y-P-O.com. Pipo, yeah, Pipo. And we've I've published with them on Medium as well. Um, yeah, that's a great site that has all kinds of content, written content. Um, it has sketches and uh, all, all kinds of social media content and it's focused on female driven comedy and I've written a couple of articles for them as well like humor pieces but they're more um, personal you know actually it's me speaking in them so yeah check those out well this brings us to the end of another episode of Behind the Pros thank you for rocking with me all the way to episode 43 I have got some good things planned for you in the next few months. So make sure that you are subscribed to the email list. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Behind the Pros or at Keisha Whitaker, Keisha with a Y. And you can also uh, find me on Facebook. So let me know what you want to hear, who you want to hear. And I will try to make that happen for you. Behind the Pros music is by UK artist Redvers West Boyle. The show is hosted and produced by me, Keisha Whitaker, who has a blanket over her head in a closet in Pennsylvania. Until next time, listen, 
learn, and write.